Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. There are some of these enshrined here who did some punting like Sammy Baugh, but there has never, ever been a pure punter entering the Hall of Fame until now. Then again, there has never, ever been a punter like Ray Guy. Believe me, it's been a long and winding road from the farmlands of South Georgia to the hallowed halls of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They've been bumps, they've been curves, deep tours, and bridges to cross along this journey. But I have finally made it. Even though, even though there will be no more games to play, records to set, or championships to win, or to be a part of this very special clubhouse called the Pro Football Hall of Fame and knowing it's forever. It's beyond my wildest dreams. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy Q. The Raiders family, the Raiders fraternity, the Hall of Fame fraternity, many different Hall of Fames lost one of their members today, Ray Guy. You heard him right there in the open. Heard Chris Berman at the Pro Football Hall of Fame introducing him. Ray Guy passes away today at 72 years old. The Morning Tailgate, JT the Brick, and now us have all talked about Ray Guy throughout the course of the day. We'll continue to do that here on the radio station, Raider Nation Radio 920. We've got a lot to get to on uh, on today's show. We've got a lot to get to in a short amount of time. And we've got plenty of guests that will talk about not only the Raiders' current day, but also Ray Guy. And uh, excited about the show, excited about everything that we got coming up, guests that are going to talk about the game on Sunday. There's just a lot to get to on today's show. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Paul Gutierrez from ESPN is going to join us in a matter of few minutes. Uh, he actually wrote about Ray Guy, and of course he's been covering the Raiders for a very long time. So uh, he wrote uh, in his book uh, about 101 things that uh, Raider fans need to do before they pass, and, and Ray Guy was a big portion of that book. So we're going to talk all things Ray Guy with Paul Gutierrez coming up in just a matter of minutes at 2.30 We'll talk to Mike DiRocco from ESPN, talking all things Jacksonville Jaguars, as that is the next team up for the current day. Silver and Black, they'll be playing on Sunday, early kickoff. You can hear that game right here on uh, on Raider Nation Radio 920. So Mike DiRocco will join us at 2.30. Vinny Bonsignor, who's in Sarasota, Florida, will join us at 3 o'clock. He was in the Raiders locker room following practice today. Got us some sounds from Josh Jacobs. Got us some sounds from Hunter Renfro. You'll hear those guys as well. Coming up on the show at 3.30, we'll talk to Ted Wynn from uh, The Athletic, talking all things film breakdown and talking about what he saw defensively from the Saints going up against that Raiders offense on Sunday and how the Raiders can um, not have that happen again. Let's put it like that. How they can, if they're defended the way that the Saints were able to defend them, how they can they can counteract that. So uh, Ted will join us at 3.30 to talk about that. At 4 o'clock, every single Tuesday and Thursday, we have Lincoln Kennedy, so he'll join the show. And then at 4.30, Van McElroy, who played with Ray Guy, will join the show as well. So as you can tell, we are locked and loaded. Got a lot to get to. Paul Gutierrez, Mike DiRocco, Vinny Bonsignor, Ted Wynn, Lincoln Kennedy, and Van McElroy, all coming up on today's edition of Unnecessary Roughness. Let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. And Paul Gutierrez from ESPN joins us now on the phone lines to talk all things Ray Guy. And Paul, we appreciate your time this afternoon. Ray Guy passes away at 72 years old. Of course, he was a 14-year vet with the Raiders, a Hall of Famer, the only punter in the Hall of Fame. And you wrote about him in your book. When you think of Ray Guy, before you found out that he passed, away when you think Ray Guy you hear that name what comes to mind for you 
You know, for me, Q, and thanks for having me on here on, on a day like this. It's, it's The first thing I think of is, is me being in junior high and watching the Raiders in the Super Bowl against Washington and that punt he saved on the bad snap from Todd Christensen. And he goes up and he skies like, mm-hmm. and as I wrote at the time, he skies like Dr. J because Dr. J was, was Dr. J before Michael Jordan was his airness. But he goes up and grabs that ball, and it's early in the game. And, and yeah, you look at the final score, 38-9, the Raiders winning a laugher, but that play was so key early on that if, if that goes awry and Washington gets the ball and, and, and takes over deep in, in Raider territory, who knows what happens in that game. So to me, that's the first thing that pops in my mind due to my age and demographic. I'm 13 years old at that point, and he had already made his bones way before that in the league being a first-round punter. Again, I was three years old when that happened, so <laughs> right. I'm old, but I'm not that old. Right. Um, but I, that, that's what pops into my mind, and that, you know, growing up, it was cool to, to kick the ball. And, you know, like when we're growing up and we're shooting hoops out in the driveway and you, you do the sky hook, you say Kareem yep. or you say Magic or when you're looking, doing the no look or even today's kids would say Kobe when they shoot the ball. If you punted the ball in the street, you yelled out Ray Guy. Nice. I like it. That's a great way to that's a great way to put it right there. Again, we're talking with Paul Gutierrez from ESPN, talking all things Ray Guy, and you actually sent that picture over to me of him skying up and getting that bad snap, and so I tweeted that out as well uh, with the show rundown today. And, of course, you wrote about him in your book, 100 Things Raider Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. As, as a young writer, did you ever imagine that you'd be talking about and dedicating a part of your book to a punter? No, no, but 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 I didn't think I'd write a book in the first place. Right. But once I knew I was writing a book that was going to include 100 things, I absolutely positively knew I was going to be writing about Ray Guy. What I didn't know when uh, I first got the assignment and, and, and uh, signed the contract was if he would be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And as timing worked out, the book was published in the late summer of 2014. That's when he got in. And uh, it, it just kind of worked out perfectly that way. And I was able to talk to Ray a couple times and and get to know him, and he was just a, a good, you know, the, the definition of the Southern gentleman, you. I mean, mm-hmm. just everything was good, down, home, corn, pone, however you want to describe him. <laughs> right. That was him. And and no airs about him whatsoever. And I'd seen him in Oakland a couple times after at games, and there he was. And, and I don't know who was more shocked to see him there, myself, or him wearing the gold jacket, because he seemed to wear that gold jacket everywhere he went, and he deserved to, and he was proud of it. And, um, yeah, I know, long, long answer to your short question, but it's just one of those things where he deserved it. And you see the Raiders' long tradition of, of, punt, of excellent punter. Shane Leckler is now a candidate uh, this year. A.J. Cole, I've been messaging with him uh, about this. And Marquette King looked at him as a, as a huge inspiration to him as well. So he, as Tom Flores said back in the day, there's always a first for something. There always has to be a first. And he was the first punter that made special teams kind of a cool thing to look at. Why is it, and it's not a bad thing, but why has it been that the Raiders have had such a knack for getting that weapon? And, and I, I say that as a, as, a, as a form of respect, you know, not just a punter, but really a weapon. They've, been, they've found ways to get those good guys, like all the names you just rattled off. Yeah, and I think that's just, it's part of the, the DNA, right? I mean, when you use a first-round pick on a right. punter in, in 1973, when you use a first-round pick on a place kicker in Sebastian Janikowski in 2000, it seems like these guys... They come in groups of three. It's not just the punter. It's not just a kicker. It's not just a long snapper. You, they kind of come in like a, a holy trinity, so mm-hmm. to speak, if I'm not being blasphemous there. But right. they all come together as a group. And, and you saw that with, with, with Seabass and, and, and with uh, Shane and with uh, John Kondo. Uh, you saw that a little bit when Marquette King kind of got in there. You see it now with the three guys that the Raiders have with Cole Carlson and Seek. 
it, it's real interesting the way it just happened, and it's just the way I look at it. It's just kind of ingrained in this team's DNA. It really is, and it's 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 something cool to to hold on to and say, yep, that team right there has a history of really great punters. Of course, the greatest of all being Ray Guy in the Hall of Fame, and punters don't get into the Hall of Fame. For him to be in the Hall of Fame, that's amazing. For him to have a college award named after him, that's amazing. And Paul, let me take you back to your UNLV days. I actually saw yep. a tweet earlier today from Mark Wallington over at UNLV talking about the, the really good punters that UNLV had in the 90s, and there was no award for the best college punter in the land and then in the in 2000 uh, Augusta Sports came up with the Ray Guy award but UNLV had a little bit of a knack back in 90s you know and, I, and I'll take you before that uh, Q and I'm sure you know this but maybe if you don't here we go we're going to school right Randall Cunningham right Randall Cunningham was a phenomenal punter for That's UNLV true. in the early 80s and could you imagine today if he was in the NFL I mean he was already the ultimate weapon so to speak I mean he was on the cover of SI and they said so so it's got to be true right mm-hmm. but if you got that guy out there as a threat as your punter, you don't know if he's going to run, pass, or unleash a 90-yard punt like you did in a game for the Eagles. So there's, again, just this, this tradition, this rich tradition of, of kickers, punters at UNLV as well, and it's not a football factory by any stretch, but, but it's true. And, and kind of the key there is, is Bob Lum. He was a, a Hall of Fame, Southern Nevada Hall of Fame announcer, right. and he had a good relationship with Al Davis. And uh, they, they kind of work things, and that's kind of how the Ray Guy Award came to be. It's, look, punters need to <laughs> need love, too, and need to be respected. So, And, and if you kind of dig into the history a little bit, there's, there's, a, there's a connection there between the Davis family and, and Las Vegas that was kind of fostered by Bob Blum as well. So yeah. it, it's real interesting. Uh, you know, the, 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 the more you peel that onion back, the more layers you see and the more interesting stories. And I'm not saying there's any direct correlation between Randall Cunningham, Ray Guy, Shane Lecker, or anything like that. But it is interesting that the Raiders are in Vegas now, and the whole kind of the, the, the desire, the need to, to honor punters kind of started there in Las Vegas at right. a small school like UNLV. That's wild. I mean, it's, I love to connect the dots, and I love to see the, you know, the different connections. Like you said, peeling the onion back, you start to learn more and more and more. Again, Paul Gutierrez is our guest from ESPN here on Radio Nation Radio 920. And I say roughness, was listening to some sound earlier and heard John Madden say that you know, when they selected Ray Guy in the first round, nobody argued that. Nobody had any kind of beef. And like, no, we can't do that, can't do that. Paul, you've been covering the league for a very long time. When it comes to draft time and they're in the war room, there's always an argument about who they're selecting. How amazing is that that they all knew Ray Guy was going to be the guy? Well, that, that's true, and I've been told that story as well by Tom Flores and others that were in the room in 1973. But and, and it, it, to make it even more uh, fascinating, amazing, 1982, the room was split. It was either some running back from Richmond named Barry Redmond or some running back from USC who had just won the Heisman, Marcus Allen. If they're split on Marcus <laughs> right. Allen in 1982, but they're all in on Ray Guy... That tells you what they needed. That tells you um, they were all on board. And it wasn't simply because he was a punter and was Mm -hmm. the best punter at the time or would turn out to be the best punter that ever lived up till now at this point anyway. It was that he was an all-around athlete. He was also drafted by the Cincinnati Reds to be a pitcher. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just watching the NFL Network special on on him called The Specialist, and he was claiming he was throwing 98 miles an hour in high school and and played in college as well. So he was an all-around guy. He played basketball. He ran track. Uh, you know, they called him Wonder Boy in high school because he could just jump out there and figure it out, and he was a star at whatever he wanted to do. But you never would have known that from talking to the man because he was so humble, uh, so full of humility, and just so happy to be where he was. 
Yeah, I mean, he didn't do a lot of radio, didn't jump on and, and do a lot of interviews. And, and funny story, I just found out when I was walking through the halls here at the radio station is that Ari, who's, uh, you know, produces Cofield and Company on ESPN, actually reached out to Ray Guy four days ago to try to get him on oh, wow. the show. And, of, of course, he didn't hear back from him because, well, again, Ray didn't really do that. He didn't really do radio. Right. But how crazy is that, that Ari just reached out to him a couple days ago and then, I mean, just, just that quick, uh, he's gone, 72 years old. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Seventy-two years young, really. Right. You know? And yep. when we think about it like that, and and the, the impact he's had, and and uh, you know, with this organization, the Raiders are, are unique, definitely as an organization, the way it takes care of its alumni, and and when you would see those guys come back, it had been a few years since I had talked to Ray myself, but uh, you know, even when I did the book with Lincoln Kennedy, Lincoln mm-hmm. said he had only met him a few times as well, but called him Mister South, Mister Southern, and just the, the Southern gentleman, and every time he was with him, he just felt good about himself. And I think as a person, as a human being, that's, you can't have anything greater said than that. If you just make somebody feel at ease and, and good about themselves, well, then everything else that comes with that is gravy. And then when you throw on top of that the greatest player at his position uh, in the game, I mean, what, what, what better compliment can you really give to somebody like that? Right. And then on top of that, the emergency quarterback, if the Raiders needed him, I mean, he was, again, like yeah. you said, an all, uh, all-around athlete. He really could do whatever he wanted to do. And, you know, I, I just I, I don't like to judge people by what I see off of Twitter because Twitter, as you know, is a wild place. But when you see everyone <laughs> reaching out and just saying how much they, they love and respect Ray Guy, you realize that it's so much more than just a guy who punted really well or a guy who played the game. Obviously, people that are reaching out and tweeting about him right now, they all had respect for the man. I think that that's says a whole lot about who Ray Guy was. And, and there's no doubt about that. And then especially when you talk to guys in the same position. I mean, again, you go back, like, the guy has an award named after him. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. that, if that doesn't tell you enough right there. And then the people that have won it, I mean, uh, you know, whether it's A.J. Cole, Marquette King, Shane Leckler, mm-hmm. uh, going back, Max Gossett, uh, you know, there's a very direct line from Ray Guy to where we are today with the Raiders in terms of punters. Right. Once they find one, they get their hands on and you look at his career averages, and I wrote this in the book at the time. You know, it was like mid-40s was his average. It was a kind of pedestrian by today's standards. But a lot of that was the way the rules were at the time. And if he needed simply just to pin somebody inside the 10-yard line, that's in the coffin corner kick. That's where he made his bacon. That's where he was able to flip the field for the Raiders. Right. And as he told me at the time, yeah, he could uncork 60, 70 yarders if he wanted, but what good would it do the team? And he was always a team player. What good would it do the team if he's out punting his coverage and those guys are returning at 40, 50 yards? And then it's only a net of 20. Right. And not only does that hurt his personal stats, but it hurts the team. So he was doing what he was told to do. He was very proud of hitting the gondola, the scoreboard there at the Superdome. <laughs> uh, you know, and I talked to A.J. Cole about that, too. Has he ever tried to hit the thing inside the Legion? And, and everybody looks at him, yeah, that's something that Ray Guy, uh, you know, again, imparts that story where, hey, I'm going to do something like Ray Guy did. Right. And, uh, you know, whether it's the coffin corner or trying to hit a scoreboard, Ray Guy, again, has left his uh, his impression on a lot, a lot of football players. You know, and that's the thing about it, Paul, is, you know, we talk about the Raiders and the, the great punters that have followed, uh, you know, with the tradition with the silver and black. But he really revolutionized the position itself for the league. Right. I mean, as you mentioned, now guys now are kicking the ball and they're punting the ball so, so far. And so but they're doing that because they had that inspiration that was Ray Guy. He literally, as I mentioned earlier, is is a weapon or was a weapon. And now the really good ones that we see on Sundays, they are weapons. They, they help out their team in a major way. And it all really kind of goes back to and started with Ray Guy. 
Yeah, because of the athlete he was. And he wasn't just some kicker that just came in. And he, he was talking about his first mini camp, his first training camp with the Raiders. He was playing DB at Southern Miss. <laughs> so when the defense took the field, he ran out on the field, and they said that John Madden's head almost exploded. He's like, no, 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 you're our first-round pick. You're not going to be playing <laughs> defense and break your leg and go out there and not be able to play. You know, and, and, and Tom Flores has told the same story where they thought that Madden was going to have a coronary because of all this. Uh, you know, and it, it's, it's great to have these conversations about these guys. And I saw, uh, you know, the Ken Stabler account tweeted out a photo of, of Ray Guy and, and Cliff Branch standing next to Ken Stabler's bus. And it just, again, is one of those reminders to you of how fleeting life really is. I mean, all those guys are now in the Hall of Fame, but none of them are with us anymore, at least on this realm. Right. So you kind of look at it and it's like, wow. These guys get their due. At least he was able to enjoy it. He was able to, to, to make his speech and see his bus and get his jacket and enjoy it with his family and friends. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate and sad, but it's also a day to kind of celebrate as well. Exactly. No, you got to celebrate exactly who Ray Guy was. He's part of the fraternity that will never go away. You can never take it away. That's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not to mention five other Hall of Fames. Like, don't let me shortchange yeah. him. He's in six different Hall of Fames. So, I mean, that guy, he just, uh, again, was incredible no matter where he went. Uh, DeMond's got one for you real quick. Go ahead. Yeah, Paul, in your time and the people that you've talked to with Raider Nation and the books that you've written, I am new to Raider Nation. So the players, the Ray guys, the Cliff Branch, those guys that have the three Super Bowl rings, just how important to they? How important are they to Raider Raider Nation? Well, they're the backbone. They're, they're the lifeblood of what the Raiders mean. And, and, yeah, the franchise has moved from Oakland to L.A. to Oakland, now to Vegas. But those guys are all part of it. And you saw it during Alumni Weekend. Uh, this year when they, they came down the, the silver and black carpet, so to speak, into the Winfield Club. And you talk to Marcus Allen and Tim Brown and Fred Belitnikoff and, 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 and the old school guys. That, that's what this organization was, was built upon. And Mark Davis would be the first to tell you, and he says it a lot, that the alumni is the lifeblood of this organization. So when you're talking about the Ray guys, the Cliff Branches, uh, guys that are in the Hall of Fame now uh, that have had to wait a very long time, it, it makes it a little more gratifying, but it's also kind of bittersweet because they weren't able to enjoy it when they should have been able to enjoy it, if at all. So, you know, for Ray Guy to be the best at his position, again, how many Halls of Fame is he in? <laughs> it's amazing, right. right? But at the same point, the man has an award named after him. I, I think that's where you do the mic drop because yeah. that's really where it starts, stops, and you just go from there. And, and being the all-around athlete he was, being an emergency quarterback, uh, you know, there's that classic game in 1984 at the Bears where the Raiders were coming off being the Raiders. The Bears weren't quite yet the Bears, and it was the nastiest game you could ever imagine. Plunk gets hurt. He's not playing. Mark Wilson gets knocked out. Uh, then a couple other guys come in. They get knocked out. Uh, and and, and they're, they're looking for, for Ray Guy to come in, and the game is so brutal. Tom Flores told me they couldn't find him. He didn't want to play in that game as a quarterback, <laughs> but I don't know who else would have wanted to go in there. You know, that's where David Hum lost his teeth and, and stopped, you know, that was his final game ever too because he was knocked out of the game twice as well as Mark Wilson. So those are the types of games and those are the, the again, the lifeblood of what this organization means and where it kind of needs to get back to because if you don't remember your past, how are you ever going to build a future? Absolutely. Again, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN is our guest here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. How about this, Paul, as we wrap things up? Ray Guy's in the Mississippi, the Georgia, the National High School, the College Football, the Bay Area, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He has an award named after him, the Ray Guy Award, and then Freddie Belitnikoff has the Belitnikoff Award after him. How cool is that About if you want to talk about and kind of mic drop your alumni? 
Uh, Ted Hendricks also has an award. That's right. Them, right. Yeah, don't let me so, start changing. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not wow. changing. I mean, it's it, it's amazing, you know. And you might want to call it the comeback award if you really wanted to get down there. Call it the the Jim Plunkett comeback it's award true. from what he had comeback through, and, and and to me should be one of the next guys in the Hall of Fame, right? Uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. So it's it's again, it's a unique franchise. It's a unique team. It's one that's uh, seen better days, obviously, but mm-hmm. it's trying to get get its feet back under it. And uh, you know, when when someone like a Ray guy passes, it's time to celebrate all those achievements, but also remember what he stood for, and then you build upon that as you go forward. No doubt about it. And Paul, final final question for you, and you kind of touched on it already. This organization is a very proud organization. They have a very rich history, but that's what it is: is a rich history. How badly do they need to get back and be consistent and have the greats and have you know the 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 alumni that are going to be around for years on top of years, anticipated, of course, you know that just can, can keep the tradition alive of the greatness of the Raiders and what that organization means. Well, winning is the ultimate deodorant. Yep. So if you're winning games and you're getting in the playoffs and you're competing for Super Bowls, that's going to start it. Uh, mm-hmm. But you also have to do it before, while these guys can all still come to games, right. while they're all still walking around and, and can come enjoy it and, and show the fans what what, uh, what is represented. I mean, you know, it, it reminds me, and, and like obviously I'm a UNLV alum and them being in Vegas, that kind of reminds me of those late 80s, early 90s UNLV teams. I mean, they're not really, uh, you know, they don't feel welcomed back by the, the current administration, so to speak. Um, but how do you not lean on that rich history? Because to me, UNLV basketball and the Raiders have a very similar vein mm-hmm. in terms of being the the Mavericks, the outlaws, the you know the ones that people turn their nose up to. And and when it comes to the Raiders, they need to embrace that and go forward with it the same way that UNLV did way back in the day. I can't believe it was over thirty years ago now, <laughs> but it's the same thing. I mean, you know, the the, the Raiders have are coming up on almost the forty years since they've won a Super Bowl. Right. So that's how you go about it. Right. And there's and the fan base is so passionate. They're as passionate as ever, but they, they want to be rewarded. And so that's why uh, you hear the anger. You get you hear Raider Nation upset when they're not winning consistently because, well, uh, they know everyone knows everyone's heard the stories. If they haven't witnessed it for themselves of how great the Raiders were, the greatness of the Raiders. Well, I'm sure everyone, including myself, would love to see them get back to being the greatness of the Raiders and show what they could do as they did back in the day. So uh, good stuff, Paul, as always, man. Thanks for uh, hopping on last second to share your thoughts on Ray guy uh, i always ask you man what do you got coming out that we need to be on the lookout for yeah you know it, it's it's uh, coming out tomorrow i'm trying to figure out you know you, you look at Devonte adams stats and when you project them out okay he's, he's on pace for 92 catches over 1200 yards receiving you know 13 touchdowns those, those are nice solid numbers that would mm-hmm. be in the top three of his of his career but it just seems like something's off yep and i kind of Dove into it, dived into it. I forget how you conjugate that, but I, you know, I jumped into it <laughs> yeah. to try using a lot of ESPN analytics to try to figure out well, what is it that we're that, that's missing? And you get one catch for three yards in a in a twenty four nothing loss. Okay, that that speaks volumes, but that that's that's an aberration, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is missing? And using some of the ESPN analytics, uh, you kind of look at it, and it, it's right there in front of our face. And on, on you know, as they say in the business, Q, that's a tease. There it is. It is a tease. I'll be checking out for it, man, because I'm I'm with you, man. I've been looking and, and seeing how this season's gone, and I feel like what he's done so far, it's been very quiet. It's been effective, but it's been a quiet. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to be paying attention to that, Paul. That's a great tease. Uh, we definitely appreciate you this afternoon, as always. Thanks so much for the insight, and we'll be talking soon. Yeah, it sounds good, man. Take care. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Great stuff right there. That's a way to get us started. Paul Gutierrez from ESPN on Twitter at P. Gutierrez ESPN. So I'm sure he'll tweet out a, a copy of that link to that article on Devontae Adams and what's been going on. I cannot wait to read it because I'll tell you right now, 
I'm, I've been thinking the same thing. Like, man, he's getting catches. He's getting numbers. He's got five TDs on the season. But, boy, it sure sounds like it's been quiet. I'm glad he did the math on it, too, to give the projections on what he's on pace that's for. because you love analytics. No, not because <laughs> kidding, I love I'm analytics. Kidding. Because I, I kid, right. it's someone that's out there doing it. Yeah. That's, he's saying what we're all thinking. Right, right. Because, like you said, hey, man, it just doesn't feel like he's been impactful enough. It feels like it's been very quiet. Again, I mean, he ends up with 92 catches and over 1,200 yards. That On paper, if you just look at the stats, as many people do, just look at the stats and be like, oh, 1,200-yard receiver. But, man, it feels like it's been a quiet you know, season so far for Devontae Adams. Has not been what I thought it was going to be. You know, I haven't seen the big time plays. I've seen play big plays here, big plays there, but I haven't seen those consistently. So uh, I'm so interested to see and read that piece that Paul's putting out and should drop tomorrow. So definitely look out for that. You can always find all of Paul's work on ESPN.com. And I, as I mentioned, uh, he'll tweet it out as well. Tweet out a link and I'll be sure to pay attention to that. So that's how we get started. We got Mike DiRocco also from ESPN. He covers the Jaguars for NFL Nation on ESPN. We're going to deep dive into, well, the next uh, opponent up on the schedule for the Silver and Black. That is the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll do it next here. On Red Nation Radio 920. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Tonight starts week nine of the NFL season. Of course, the Raiders don't play till Sunday. They take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've been practicing in Sarasota, Florida. We'll get an update from Sarasota with Vinny Bonsignor coming up at 3 o'clock. But let's deep dive right now into the Jacksonville Jaguars and help us do that is Mike DiRocco covers the Jacksonville Jaguars for ESPN's NFL Nation. And Mike, thanks so much for your time. We do appreciate you. Want to start off before we deep dive into the game and, and really the team that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. How has things been uh, with Doug Peterson at the helm as opposed to Urban Meyer a year ago? Uh, it's been about as 180 as you could possibly expect. Um, it's, you know, D- Doug is, is uh, a personable guy and did with, and interestingly enough, knows the names of the players on the other team. Uh, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's a step in the positive direction for sure. No doubt. No doubt about it. And I know the results have not been there yet for Jacksonville. Just have a couple wins on the season and lost a close one in London against Denver last week. But as far as like Travis Etienne, the weapon that he is, uh, are you seeing the, the, the progress from the team, having confidence in, in where they're going, the direction they're going, even though, like I said, they haven't resulted in wins just yet? Yeah, you know, every loss has been a one-score loss. They've had leads in the fourth quarter in uh, four of those uh, – six losses so they've been in these games that's not you know in doubt by any stretch of the imagination they're not getting blown out anymore and anybody that's watched this this uh this franchise over the last five six seven eight years knows that that is significant progress now again the bottom line is you got to win games and they're not making plays in the fourth quarter offense or defense um you know each side seemed to take turns letting the other one down there in the fourth quarter but you know, if if you're looking for a big bright spot for this team, it is Travis Etienne. You know, they he, he had essentially taken over the starting job in the main, uh, you know, running back role even before they had traded James Robinson. And, and, you know, he's been an explosive guy in the run game, and we expected him to make a huge impact in the pass game, and, and obviously he has. But, 
I mean, he's averaging, uh, you know, 6.3 yards per carry. Um, it, it, it's impressive what he has been able to do, and he hits the hole really, really quickly. The offensive line is, is a pretty solid group, and, and, you know, they don't have to hold their blocks very long, and he gets through the hole one cut and go. And, and he's been really probably the biggest bright spot on this team offensively. And, and you know, they're going to ride this kid for the rest of the year for sure because they really don't have much behind him with Jermichael Hasty and Snoop Connor. So, yeah, it's going to be a heavy dose of ETN every single week. That's what it looks like. You know, as I'm watching games, that's what it looks like. And, and the Raiders were just, you know, taken, taken to task by Alvin Kamara a week ago uh, in New England. So I'm sure Travis Etienne not going to take it for granted. But I think that uh, he's probably looking at that saying, hey, man, Kamara just did his thing. I'm very similar. I, I could do I can have the same kind of results. And I'm sure Doug Peterson, as he's putting the game plan together, has has plans of using them similar to what the Saints did with uh, with Kamara. Yeah, and, you know, in training camp, you know, that's kind of the story that I did about Travis Etienne. You know, everyone was like, oh, use him like Debo. He's the next Debo. No, he's not Debo Samuel. That's a whole different animal. But the better comparison was the Jaguars should use him the way the Saints use Kamara. And we've seen that for sure. Um, You know, that's going to be the best way to approach it with him. You know, they just, you know, need to make it a priority in the offseason to get him some more help. Um, and they're going to try and, you know, kind of keep it to a, a player that's similar in his running style. You know, we have seen, um, you know, James Robinson's not the same kind of guy, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, they're going to, you know, they've got their banger back in Snoop Connor, so they're going to have to try and, you know, add somebody that can kind of complement ETN style as well. Talking all things Jaguars right now with Mike DiRocco from ESPN here on Radio Nation Radio 920. My man DeMond's got one for you. When it comes to Trevor Lawrence, he's improving in all of the good stats. Completion percentage up, touchdown percentage. His interception rate is down compared to last season. How much has Doug Peterson helped him progress as a quarterback? Yeah, it's been significant. Uh, you know, Doug Peterson is a, he was just saying it on his coach's show a little bit ago that, hey, look, you know, I want to put the ball in this kid's hands. Um, he's a quarterback that we can win games with. He's a quarterback that we're comfortable doing that with. And, you know, he's young and he's learning and he's going to go through a lot of these growing pains. And everyone says, well, wait a minute. He played 17 games last year. Well, yeah, last year is a wash for Trevor Lawrence and this franchise, to be honest with you. I mean, Doug Peterson and the staffs said, look, we got to start over with him. You just, you don't know the kind of coaching that he got last year. You don't know. Um, you know, just how mentally he was able to get through that and how much damage that did, um, the whole Urban Meyer situation there. So they're kind of treating him as a, as a rookie again. So you're kind of going through some of the same growing pains um, that you would go through with a rookie. And, and the other thing, too, with, with Trevor Lawrence is, look, this is third head coach, third offensive coordinator, third offensive, offensive system, third quarterbacks coach in three years. So that's going to mess with anybody's head. And, uh, you know, but he has benefited from Doug Peterson's sort of calm demeanor, uh, probably more so than we even thought. Um, you know, the, the, the big thing with Trevor Lawrence is he's got to be better in the red zone. He's been awful in the red zone. And uh, he's hurting them significantly with his play in the red zone, two red zone, two end zone interceptions in the last month. And, and you just can't have that. So that's the area where he has to improve the most. Yeah, we see it from other quarterbacks. I mean, Peyton Manning, another good quarterback from the AFC South, he had to go through those growing pains as well. But for Trevor Lawrence, what's going to be that next step once he figures this out? You mentioned the red zone, but what's the next step for Trevor Lawrence to reach that next level? Understanding, um, well, he's got to improve his accuracy. That's that's mm-hmm. number one. But that was a, a little bit of a concern with him um, 
you know, coming out of Clemson. He, you know, he, he was a guy that wasn't, you know, exceptionally accurate. And I think that he's probably going to have a little bit of that issue throughout the rest of his career. Um, you know, he's a guy that does throw the ball high a little bit uh, at times. That seems to be where his misses are. Um, the other thing is, is you know, he's, he's a big kid with a big arm, and he's very confident in his abilities. Um, but the thing that he has to realize and learn from and make, get better at is realizing just because I can make the throw doesn't mean I should make the throw. You know, mm-hmm. hey, it's third and seven. I've got my guy open at the sticks that we can get that third down converted and, and keep this drive going. But, man, there's a guy 25, 30 yards down the field Oh, it could be a big play. I can get it there, but the window's a little bit tighter. Um, stop taking those risks down the field and start converting those third downs and extend drives. And and that comes with more experience, and that comes with uh, you know maturity, knowing when you can take those shots and when not to. And I think that's another area where he's going to have to you know have some growth in this year, next year, you know, to really kind of you know become the quarterback the Jaguars expect him to be. When it comes, when Trevor Lawrence was coming out, it was, hey, this guy hasn't lost since high school. How is he going to like be? How is he going to get used to losing in the NFL? Because the Jaguars are going through those growing pains, and they're going to be losing a lot. So, what's that leadership like from Trevor Lawrence? And on this offensive side of the ball, where everyone is young, who are the leaders for this offense? Uh, well, for in terms of Trevor, he's not a get in your face, scream, and you know Tom Brady kind of leader type of thing. He's more of a lead by example, quiet guy. Um, you know, he'll talk to his guys, you know, when things go wrong on the field, but he's, you know, more of an encouraging guy. And, and uh, you know, like I said, he's not going to be screaming at anybody. And, and people here in Jacksonville don't like that. They want him screaming at guys. Uh, they want to see more fire out of him, but that's just not who he is. I mean, and, and if you try and lead in a way that is not true to your personality, then it comes across as fake and, and guys don't respond. Um but, yeah, it's, it's not been easy for him. I mean, he's lost 20 games as a starter. He mm-hmm. lost four in high school and college combined. I mean, it's, 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 you know, he says he hasn't lost any confidence, and, you know, it, it would be hard not to, though. When, when you're losing that many games and you're making the mistakes he's making and his team is making the mistakes it's making, you know, it's, it's going to start wearing on him pretty quickly, I would think, but, you know, if this season continues to go in the direction that it is. Um, you know, leader-wise on offense, you know, it's, it's more guys like Marvin Jones Jr., Christian Kirk, uh, Brandon Sheriff, the, you know, the guy that uh, came over from the commanders, the right guard, the mm-hmm. all right guard. Those are really kind of the guys that they rely on on offense. But, you know, it, it, some of that leadership obviously has to come from your quarterback. And, you know, so far, you know, I, I, you know I've been covering this team for 10 years. I was in that locker room in 2018. Um, when when teams the, the the team lost faith in in Blake Bortles and and I know what it feels like and what it sounds like in a locker room when a team has lost its faith in a quarterback and is starting to point fingers and and that's not shown up in any way shape or form here in Jacksonville right now so that's not an issue at this point talking with Mike Duraco here on Raider Nation Radio 920 unnecessary roughness talking all things Jaguars on the defensive side of things Mike I mean when it comes to the Raiders first of all they got shut out by the Saints I always believe that when a team gets shut out and embarrassed the week before they're going to come back with a vengeance and really want to get after it so when you look at the Jaguars and their defense how do you expect them how do they match up when you look at Devontae Adams Hunter Renfro I don't know if Darren Waller is going to be out there he was limited again at practice today but just looking at those two guys, like a uh, Devonte Adams, how does how do the Jaguars match up with him? 
Well, nobody really matches up with Devontae Adams. <laughs> um, although, what, one catch last week, yeah. he was dealing with an illness, though, correct? That yes. was part of that yep. as well. Um, you know, look, the, the Jags don't have Shaquille Griffin. Uh, he's on IR with a back injury. Their best corner is Tyson Campbell, second-year kid out of Georgia, who has really made some significant strides. He's their best corner anyway. So, um, you know, they, they started to travel him a little bit with the other team's best receiver last week. Um, I think we might see a lot more of that this week because I don't think the Jaguars want to put Trey Herndon up against Devontae Adams. That's not a recipe for success for the Jaguars. Um, what the Jags had been doing is moving Darius Williams the inside uh, slot corner outside, um, you know, in base downs. And when they're in nickel, they would move Darius Williams back inside and Trey Herner would play outside. Um, I don't know that that's the best way to do it. Honestly, I think Darius Williams best in the slot. So if you're going to end up dealing with Hunter Renfro in the slot, I think that would probably be the best matchup. And I would travel if I'm the Jaguars. I think we'll see them travel um Travis or excuse me Tyson Campbell all over wherever Devontae Adams goes and you know that's the best strategy right um you know but but it all comes down to you know they got to get pressure on Derek Carr and, mm-hmm. and this this team has not done a good job the last five six weeks of getting pressure uh on the quarterback uh Josh Allen has three sacks and he's had none in the last five games wow uh I mean it there are four games yeah five games yeah I mean it's it's He's had four quarterback hits in the last four weeks. I mean, that's just not getting it done. That's the number seven overall pick in 2019. You know, they pick, uh, picked up the fifth-year option. They, they need him to start making some plays because Traylon Walker, the number one overall pick this year, um, has been stymied. Um, you know, he had a half of a sack last week, but, man, he's been the subject of double teams and chips and it, it's getting to him. He's getting frustrated. He's not getting to the quarterback. They're just not making plays um, against quarterbacks. And, and, you know, you can't let the quarterbacks in this league sit back there unpressured and pick you apart because that's what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, if they can get to Derek Carr, then maybe they have a chance to slow down Adams a little bit. But, you know, they haven't been able to get to any quarterback in the last month. So if there's not a lot of high confidence for me that they're pretty that they're going to be able to do that. Mike, just got a couple more questions for you. As far as, I mean, you mentioned, you know, getting to the quarterback and their lack of getting to the quarterback. How have they done against the run? Because right now the Raiders are really buttering their bread by way of Josh Jacobs. Yeah, you know, they started out in the first couple weeks with, uh, you know, they had the number one run defense in the league, you know, after the three weeks of, of you know, they shut out the the Colts, um, you know, and then they beat the, the Chargers in L.A. by 28 points. Uh, and then the Eagles put 200 yards on them. Um, so they've been kind of up and down here and there. Um, they did a good job on Saquon Barkley several weeks ago, really until late in the fourth quarter. But then they allowed Daniel Jones to run for 100 yards, and I, making him, I think, the first Giants quarterback to run for 100 yards since 1946. So it's been that kind of year for the Jags. They're having teams put those kind of stats on them. Um, Foley Fadakasi inside in the, you know, in the middle has been sort of the key to when they've played good run defense. He's been really active and, and held up at the point of attack. But, um, you know, you don't have to worry about the Derek Carr run factor this no. week. You don't have to worry about the RPO. So, in, you know, when they've not had to worry about that, they've been better against the run. But, uh, again, Josh Jacobs, really, really good, really, really good running back and a physical guy. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I think the game, 
Jacobs and Etienne kind of cancel each other out a little bit, mm-hmm. and I think this game comes down to whichever quarterback makes the fewest mistakes or makes the second-to-last mistake will win the game. Oh, wow. Well, a player that I wanted to specifically ask you about on that Jaguars defense is Devin Lloyd, because if the Raiders would have kept that first-round pick, he was a guy that's like, hey, he's a little bit older, but I think the Raiders could have picked him in the draft. How has he been for the Jaguars this season? Because he's been one of the bright spots on that defense. Yeah, his rookie of the month uh, in uh, September, um, and, you know, was really, really active. Missed a lot, of, missed almost all of camp, so that was pretty impressive, his start. He started off a little rough the first week, um, but after that, you know, he was all over the place, covering backs, covering tight ends, making some tackles. He had an interception. Um, you know, he's been really, really active. He hasn't made the kind of impact plays. Um, that he was making early in, in the month. But, I mean, he's still probably their most athletic and fastest linebacker, so he'll be all over the place. I'm interested to see how many times he gets matched up, um, you know, against Jacobs or Waller, uh, you know, if, if Waller's able to go, um, you know, in the pass game because that's, uh, that's sort of what they wanted him for, too, was to make sure that they could match up with, with backs out of the backfield and, and some of the more athletic tight ends. You know, he's got Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, next week on deck, so that's going to be an interesting <laughs> matchup as well. But, you know, he's been really solid for them. He's, like I said, tailed off in terms of the big plays. Um, but, you know, he's the guy that they're planning on, you know, in 2024. He'll be their starting middle linebacker and, and being the defensive captain and be the guy that kind of runs the whole show. Mike, final question for you. For the Jaguars to get this win on Sunday and get their third win of the 2022 season, what has to happen for Jacksonville? They've got to get to Derek Carr, and they've got to get some turnovers. Um, You know, they had nine turnovers in the first four weeks, and they've got, what, one since then. Um, You know, and that was an interception against uh, the Philadelphia Eagles return for a touchdown and and just nothing since then. I mean, this defense doesn't make plays. Uh, in the fourth quarter, and apparently pretty much for the rest of the game either because they're just not forcing turnovers. But if they can get to Derek Carr, limit the damage that, that Josh Jacobs does, um, and get a couple of turnovers, you know, they can win this game. But since that's not something they've done for the last month or so, I, I think the Raiders come in and win this game. There you go right there. You heard it from Mike DiRocco from ESPN. Does a great job covering the Jacksonville Jaguars like a glove for ESPN's NFL Nation. Mike, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. We do appreciate you. Enjoy the weekend and enjoy the game. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. All right, there he goes. Good job right there from Mike Jarocco. Fantastic stuff. A lot of good knowledge he dropped on us about the Jacksonville Jaguars and gives you a good idea of his expectations. I mean, he says right now he thinks that the Raiders are going to win the game because of what the Jaguars don't do defensively. So that's an interesting little nugget right there from Mike. 2.46 is the time. We'll come back. We'll close out our number one just that fast. We got the injury report from the Raiders. We'll share that. Plus, we'll hear from running back Josh Jacobs inside the locker room. Vinny Bonsignor sent it over to us. You'll hear it next here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Q. 2.50 is the time. First hour is flying by here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. Got Vinny Bonsignor joining us at 3 o'clock. Talk about everything going on in Sarasota, Florida as he was in the locker room earlier today. Talk to Josh Jacobs, talk to Hunter Renfro, talk to Derek Carr. We'll hear from at least two of those guys at some point throughout the course of the show, Josh Jacobs and Hunter Renfro. I wanted to hear from Josh Jacobs right here, but I don't know if we're going to have enough time. I did want to go over the injury report for Thursday. Devontae Adams, who was limited on Wednesday with the illness, was back in full uh, participant on Thursday, so that's good. 
Derek Carr, who was listed on uh, on the injury report with a back injury, was a full participant on Wednesday, full participant on Thursday. But as Vinny Bonsignor pointed out yesterday to us on the show, that his back injury is is a is an injury. It's something to you know pay attention to, and it flared up on on him against that, uh, the Saints game last week. So definitely something to pay attention to. Linebacker Devon Diablo. Back and wrist injury, did not participate on Wednesday, limited on Thursday. So that's positive. Sounds like he's getting a little bit better, and he needs to be as healthy as possible. In my opinion, he's been struggling anyway, so he definitely needs to be as healthy as possible. So it's good to see that he's at least back in a limited capacity. Defensive tackle Neil Farrell, dealing with a knee injury, limited on Wednesday, and limited again on Thursday, as was Mac Hollins, who's dealing with a uh, heel injury. Darren Waller, again, hamstring injury, limited, limited. Limited on Wednesday, limited on Thursday, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. He'll probably be limited tomorrow. It's going to be another game time decision. That's definitely what I feel like and definitely be one of the first questions we ask Vinny when he joins the show coming up in a few minutes. Uh, just don't know, man. This the hamstring, I was I was sitting around. I was uh, working on a show yesterday. I was, I was talking uh, with some folks about Darren Waller, and uh, one guy just pointed out, he's like, man, have you ever had a hamstring injury? Those things don't just... They don't, they don't fix overnight. You don't go to bed and then wake up in the morning. He's like, man, my hammy sure does feel good. It's just it's one of those situations. It just takes a while, and it stinks, man, because we have not got to see uh, 100% locked in, understanding what he's doing. Darren Waller with 100 Renfro, 100% fully locked in, understand what he's doing. With 100% Devontae Adams, 100% locked in, fully know what he's doing. I don't know if any of those guys absolutely know the playbook 100% yet, but I know that we haven't seen them all together. That's for sure. Yeah, it doesn't matter how much they know about the playbook, but you saw at the end of the Chiefs game, do they know each other? Right. Even the, let's say the good, 40, good 50 plays that they do know, like, hey, got it down to memory. Right. But do I know how you're running this route or how I'm going to run that route? Right. Where when Devontae Adams yesterday, where he, when he mentioned, hey, man, you know, the things that we were working on in training camp, you know, like team when teams game plan for it. Yeah, like let's say when you're getting jammed off the line of scrimmage, just like I said, knowing how those guys are going to run routes together in a game, if you don't play with each other, you don't have a feel for what another guy's going to do. That's a good point. Bring up a great point right there. A couple more guys on the injury report for the Raiders. Sam Webb, uh, he was back as a full participant. He's got a hamstring and a back injury. He was limited on Wednesday, full on Thursday, as was John Simpson, who's dealing with the ankle injury, the guard. Uh, he was not listed on Wednesday, but he was listed on Thursday, full participant. And long snapper, Trent Sieg. Ankle injury not listed on Wednesday, full participant on Thursday. And I'll say this, man. <laughs> Anytime I see the long snapper on the injury report, I get nervous. I automatically go back to the days when uh, the Raiders didn't have their their long snapper and they were punting, they were um, they were snapping the ball way over Shane Leckler's head uh, at the Coliseum. I, I can't remember who they were playing. Maybe it was the Chargers or whatever. But man, it was oh, it was such a bad day. Such a bad day. And my appreciation for the long snapper went up a million times. I promise you, a million times. After I saw that game and saw how bad it was when you didn't really have your long snapper, how important those guys are. So you don't want those guys out at all. Uh, I got a couple quick text messages I want to get to at 69187, keyword R&R. Vegas Pete said, let's go bloody those kitties' nose by playing Smash Mouth. Hope Carr's back is well enough to play. Let's win this one for the only punter in the Hall of Fame, RIP Ray Guy. You were the man. Uh, Also got a text when I think of Ray Guy, I always picture him right after he punted the ball and his leg would be fully extended, almost touching his face mask. His punting technique was perfection. That's from the 707. Sir Whiskey Ray said Q&D. Always great to hear Paul Gutierrez. He's always providing great insight. As a kid, I had two Raider jerseys, Marcus Allen and yours truly, the great Ray Guy. As a kid, I was always practicing my kicking in the street just like Ray Guy because I wanted to kick like him. Very sad news on the passing of Ray, one of the greatest Raiders ever, a three-time Super Bowl winner. He will be missed. Here I stand with my glass in the air. 
to Ray Guy. Cheers, Sir Whiskey Ray. Good stuff from him. And I think I got one more. I do. This one's from uh, the 209. What up, Q? Raiders tend to stoop down to lower teams' level for whatever reason. So I'm getting ready for a close game, but expecting a blowout. Nowadays, we just don't know. So let's just make sure we get this dub. We need it bad. And you know, there's no doubt about that. And I don't understand why they always do that. It's not just this regime. They've done that forever, just kind of, you know, played down to the level of their competition, which is a terrible habit to get into. But for some reason, they've always done that. They need nothing more than to go out there on Sunday and just lay the smack down, to use a a wrestling term that DeMond would appreciate. (laughs) They need to go out there and just whoop. Just like Vegas Pete said, go bloody the kitty's nose. They need to go, let's put it like this, they need to go whoop their ass. You know, just straight up. They need to go whoop their ass. Straight up. You know what I mean? You mentioned another wrestling term. Open a can of whoop ass. Okay, there you go. (laughs) Here, I'm on fire today. I'm on fire today with wrestling terms. What else can I come up with? Stomp a mud hole, walk them dry. Was that Stone Cold? Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Boom. I better quit while I'm ahead because I know I'm going to mess something up. I know I'm going to mess one up, but that's what they need to do. They need to, what did you say, stomp a mud hole? Yeah, again? stomp a mud hole in him and walk it dry. Stomp a mud hole in him and walk it dry. Is that how he says it? Yeah, just, yeah you got the southern accent. Yeah, there you stomp, go. Stomp a mud hole in him and walk it dry. <laughs> that's, and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold says so. Is that how he says it? Yep. All right, let's take a break. 2.56 at the time. We'll come back. Vinny Monsignor will join the show. It's Radio Nation Radio 920.